Hello and welcome to the Amber Spycast, your one-stop shop for all things his dark materials and maybe in the future general nerd information because we're thinking about expanding our personal universes, universe I, uh, to talk about other things outside of this because we are closing in on really the last two episodes until we get season three um, mm-hmm. of the show. We're finishing up this trilogy. It's very exciting. Um, how are you guys doing, Travis and Joanna? Um, I'm doing well. Uh, coming off of a week off from work and uh, spent it uh, nerding out like crazy, uh, watching, playing a bunch of games, reading a bunch of books, and watching a bunch of TV. Joanna? Oh, yeah, that's like, that's that's what you had to do. <laughs> you had it's to like, do it. It's like Bridgerton. Oh, and- so good. Which would Joanna? Did you watch Bridgerton yet? I start. I started it. I didn't. I didn't. I got like halfway through the first. Not even halfway through the first episode, and my daughter came downstairs, and I was like, "Nope," <laughs> and I. Yeah. I stopped is, it. So like, yeah, I've got it. It's one of the shows the, the most. I mean, like it's the it's got the most sex in it of any show that I've really watched in recent memory. And like, it's one of the shows where I'm like looking over my shoulder to make sure the kids haven't come out of bed because it's like, oh my god. Yeah, yeah I'll, I'll tell you, my wife and I were just horrible parents on Monday. We made the kids fend for themselves like the entire day. And <laughs> that's the one, that's the beautiful part about having a 15 year old. I can say, watch your sister. We're watching TV. Yeah. <laughs> we're watching this we thing. <laughs> yeah, it's a lot of fun. I, mean, I can't wait to talk to you guys about that, actually. Yeah. Yeah. Especially the final reveal. I got. Yes. I, oh, I want to talk so much about that. We should do a whole episode on Bridgerton. We can. We should. We can. We can. And we can do whatever we want to. The listeners may be disappointed because we just spent 20 minutes talking about vacuum cleaners. <laughs> just so everyone knows, behind the scenes, we were talking about vacuuming for before we started recording. So you're you're welcome <laughs> that we left over editing that out, I guess. So here we are. We're the the final episode has aired of uh, season two. We're going to talk about the penultimate episode today on the pod, uh, entitled Malice. And we're going to talk about two episodes from uh, The Amber Spy Glass, um, chapters 33 and 34, Marzipan, and um, There Is Now. So you want to start with the book, and then we'll finish up with the show? Sure. Okay. Yeah. So the, the general gist here is that Will and Lyra are now in the land of Mary Malone and we're sort of like, those, those worlds are like crashing into each other. Father Gomez is still a little bit of, a little bit outside of what's happening. Mm -hmm. Although he does come in towards the end of the second chapter that we're going to talk about. So the, the, it seems like the main tale here is that Mary, Will and Lyra are telling their stories and we're getting this – we don't necessarily need a recap of Will and Lyra's story for the most part because we were along for the ride. But Mary's story is the real revelation here. Am I sort of hitting on the right element here for us to talk about? I think so. Mary's story about her being a nun, I think that was a big piece of it, was like, why did you leave – why did you, it's not necessarily so much about when did you stop believing, but like you were a nun and what happened? 
the story here is really rich and it really hit a, a struck a nerve for me personally on a personal level. And I might go into that a little bit more later, but she tells the story of, uh, going to Portugal and this is a real eye opening for Lyra in particular. She goes to Portugal and she had like a relationship. She has relationships when she was younger, but she goes to Portugal and we sort of, she talks about different relationships she's had in the past but one in particular was when she went to make a presentation and she was like a cool nun, right? She was like, mm-hmm. I'm a science nun. I'm out giving lectures about science stuff, you know? Mm-hmm. So she wasn't wearing a habit. She wasn't, um, what do they say? Not conclave. What do they call nuns that are like in, like inside of someplace? I, I'm not sure. There's like a, there's a term for it. Uh, yeah. I don't know what it is. I was thinking consecrated, but now. Yeah, dang! It's it's like flied if it flew from my head. So she's out. She's made a trip to give a scientific presentation, which is pretty cool. But everything to her has been linked to like the, the glory convent. It, right, the con. She she was she's not in a convent, right? Yes. She's a she's a little bit more free, but she does have a mother superior, and she is she is a nun, mm-hmm. um, but like a nun that's a little bit more. You know, she's it's a more open um, relationship that she has with with the nunnery. So she's gone out and she's giving a presentation in in Portugal. She's very nervous, of course. She um, meets an individual at a meal afterwards and things have gone really well. And she's reminded because of this individual and because of the tasting of marzipan reminds her of what love an individual having a relationship with an individual was like. Mm-hmm. Am I touching on that right? Yeah. What's your take on sort of her telling the story and how Lyra reacts to it and she reacts in a big way? So I, I loved this chapter. Like, like I, I loved, I really loved this chapter. And I think there were parts of it for me that remind, that made me feel, I mean, I know it's not, it's not similar um, really in any other way, but the feeling of it when I was reading, it reminded me of when I was reading like love in the time of cholera. Like it just this idea of like her thinking about these moments and, and, you know, the emotion that was wrapped up in it and the, and the, you know, the realism, like her understanding for the first time, like the impact of those moments and the meaning of those things. Like it was so powerful to read, particularly now, you know, when I, I was much younger when I read this the first time and, you know, look, reading it now as a 45 year old woman, <laughs> God, uh, you know, just, just, it's just, it, it connects for me in such a different way. And at the same time, then that being a young girl, like Lyra was and, and coming to some of the realizations that Lyra was coming to, it was a really interesting thing for me because, you know, I could, I, I was in both of their shoes. Like I could be in both of their shoes, um, like legit. And it was, it was a really, um, I think a really like meaningful chapter for me. I thought it was pretty, pretty interesting, uh, chapter. I like the way Mary's adventures seem to recontextualize her life. Mm-hmm. Like she took what, um, she'd experienced as a, as a younger person, her, her choices and, 
what she's done now with the Malefa and, and everything else and all of her experiences with uh, Lyra and, and Will seems to have, have uh, recontextualized that for her and uh, given her a new perspective. And um, I really feel like that is the goal of any adventure, right? Like you're supposed to walk away from it with like a new perspective on who you are. And uh, I like that she's done that. Yeah, I, I, you know, the 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 way that Lyra reacts to this story, and, and Lyra is she's very young still, um, but we we knew as people who've read this book already, we sort of knew this moment was coming, and and there's a paragraph here. Um, if we all shared the same book, I would actually ask uh, you to read this, Joanna, but. Um, I, I think we're all we all have different page numbers, <laughs> so yeah. I'll, I'll I'll take a stab at it. And I hope it doesn't sound funny coming out of my mouth. But um, she talks about falling in love, and she, and then Lyra starts to feel something. And this is the paragraph here. As Mary said that Lyra felt something strange happen to her body. She felt as if she had been handed the key to a great house she hadn't known was there. A house. That was somehow inside her, and as she turned the key, she felt other doors opening deep in the darkness and lights coming on. She sat trembling as Mary went on. This is kind of the moment. Um, and it's like an awakening in an interesting way, just listening to this story and even li- reading what Mary says and how she tells her story. Me, as a 45-year-old man also... I almost felt that same feeling before Lyra felt it. I was like, oh, because when you're older and you think about like young love and your first experiences and stuff, you're, you can sort of feel those things again. You can, you feel those emotions again. You can sort of like remember what it feels like to sort of Mm -hmm. be young and, and um, experiencing things for the first time. And then the next chapter, the next paragraph is there like Lyra, like, oh wow, she's, like the inside of her is starting to open up and she's starting to think about those things in, in a way. Yeah. I think, you know, the, it's like what I said a moment ago, Lyra has been feeling those feelings, you know, for will and inspired by will throughout much of the story. But Mary's story recontextualized her Lyra's feelings so she had a, an understanding of what that meant, of what all of her individual feelings that she'd been having meant in a greater context. Mm-hmm. And, uh, yeah, that was, um, that, that was a, a pretty powerful moment. Uh, I'm, I'm interested to see how Pan reacts to that. Because I, I think, you know, that was... If there is a switch that she, that where where you move from childhood to uh, you know early adulthood, I think that was Lyra's switch. Mm-hmm. I didn't say anything definitive. Somebody, <laughs> <laughs> I will not be the definitive voice for a thirteen-year-old girl on this show. I don't know that anything is is definitive. I mean, there's a great line in here where it says it was the strangest thing. Lyra knew exactly what she meant. And half an hour earlier, she would have had no idea at all. And inside her, that rich house with all its doors open and all its rooms lit 
stood waiting, quiet, expectant. Like there's nothing definitive here. So it's okay, I think. Mm -hmm. I'm letting us all off the hook. (laughs) It's okay that we're not like saying, you know, because she yet doesn't even fully, she's not yet explored and understood that. So we wouldn't know that either. And, and I, and that's fair. And that's, that's exactly how it is, right? Like it's exactly, I think how that is. So mm-hmm. he did a pretty good job for being however old he was when he wrote this, you don't know yeah. how old Pullman he wrote that, yeah. but you know, he, I think he, he hit Mary's the way Mary felt. I find that, you know, it's very um, sensitive to, I think, a lot of the things that, you know, I, I don't know necessarily that many male authors would be able to sort of grasp and then eloquently and with emotion, you know, put down on paper that mm-hmm. felt real. But it felt very real to me. As a woman reading it, I was like, yeah, I've been there. I know that. That's amazing. So. Coming of age is a hard thing to write, um, even for your own sex. So writing it about someone else's sex you know, you, it's, there's certain, certainly challenges that you have to sort of, you know, say, and these are two, two women, you know, you're talking about Lyra and Mary that you're writing about. Um, I remember when I was young, I read a series called the Belgariad by Piers Anthony. And he wrote like the first book in that, um, it's a coming of age about a small boy, but I was like the, basically the same ad, uh, age as the main character, Garion, And it was like, just spot on like what my like what my emotions were at that time and i thought oh my god this this guy gets me you know <laughs> um mm-hmm. so I, I i it's it is sort of fascinating to read about this and and then going further into this chapter and when she's walking on the beach with this man and it's not just because of him that she does this it's because she wonders what it all means it's not just about feeling love and connection with someone it's like the, the, her throwing the crucifix into the ocean, you know, mm-hmm. she, she puts all these pieces together and this isn't necessarily an awakening, awakening for Lyra. I don't really know about Lyra's beliefs necessarily when the book starts or if, you know, she, we just know that she's not necessarily studious and she doesn't really like follow along mm-hmm. with like, you know, learning about, you know, whatever it is when it comes to religion she just seems like she kind of blows it off. She's a kid, right? Most kids do. <clears throat> but like Mary being devout and then deciding that she's now looking at things a little bit differently, um, just again, reminded me a little bit about my own coming of age and then being a little bit older. And then the moment when my own experience led me to a similar conclusion um, for myself, this isn't anyone, you know, I'm not, sort of telling anyone else how to believe. But I just remember that moment where someone said something and it wasn't love. It wasn't quite as romantic as how Mary came to that realization. But the realization, hearing someone saying something that actually pushed me away and made me feel more distant from what I'd been taught as a young, Mm -hmm. a young person, I was like, you know, 16 or 17 years old and remembering that moment and remembering that, uh, loneliness that she felt when I think you want to be connected to something larger than yourself. Mm-hmm. Um, you want to be, you want to think about an afterlife where you reconnect to people um, on a, on a real like li- literal level where you're going to like be with them again. I remember all those things just coming crashing down on me 
and I felt really alone at that time. Mary, in the way that he describes Mary's sort of revelation, there's a little bit of that, but hers is much more, I, I, I struggled with it a little bit more than maybe Mary did. Mary feels like um, freed a little bit, even though she's still feeling that loneliness. Mm-hmm. I didn't quite feel that same way. I feel more of that, more of that now. Um, but there's a sadness still. There's a sadness and a loss when, when you come to that realization. I feel like I need to have my coming of age. I'm 45 years old and I haven't had a, had a moment when I... No, that's not true. That's, that's an utter lie. <laughs> I, I think so, everyone can yeah. relate to parts of that. Sorry, just we can move on. But I just really do think there are parts of her story, no matter what part it is, that even if it isn't with religion, there's something that you've broken, that you've broken from. Mm-hmm. Um traditions that your parents follow or cultural beliefs, or it could be religious. Um, it could just be social, you know, societal expectations, different things like that. There's, but I really do think that he's nailed a universal feeling of loss that even if it, you didn't lose religion, you can understand what she's feeling. And I think that again is what's so potent about how he writes. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. You know, Will asks her, um, did you miss God? He asks her. She says, yes, terribly, and I still do. And what I miss most is the sense of being connected to the whole of the universe. I used to feel I was connected to God like that. And because he was there, I was connected to the whole of his creation. But if he's not there, then and she trails off. Um, just, you know. You know what I found, um, what I found powerful about that scene was that Pullman is a well-known atheist. Yes. And he doesn't just he's not writing that athe- being an atheist is is without its drawbacks. Yes. And mm-hmm. I think that's a really powerful statement for a person to make. Uh, and you know, I'm not saying that, you know, Mary is Pullman is the voice of Pullman in here, but even so, I think he he had to have considered it when he wrote it that and you know full disclosure i i guess in the past couple of years have openly said that i i i was an atheist and um it's not without its it, it isn't without its its loneliness so everything you know you were talking about Alaric and Joanna you were talking about when you know when you give things up it's there you know, you don't feel the same sense of community or the same connection to, you know, everyone else that every mm-hmm. that other people who believe have. There have been a lot of times when, you know, I've gone through a day and said, I really wish I believed because the rest of these people have like there's something that, you know, comforts them that I don't have. The fact that Pullman acknowledges that and you know gives voice to that was, uh, I think, really powerful. Yeah, and you had mentioned again um, talking about that feeling of loss, and I wonder, you know, did Pan feel that same way? You know, the way that the way that Mary is describing, like, I thought I had this connection. I thought, what do I have if I don't if I don't have that now? What? And now here's Pan, who is the other. You know, she's he's intimately connected. He's a part of Lyra, and she's having this realization. And these doors are opening, and they are probably doors that will are closing him out. And just 
thinking about, because you had just said, I wonder how Pan would have, you know. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And, and I really feel like, you know, he must have also been experiencing some of that in some way um, on his own. Yeah, and I, and I wonder if he just, I wonder if that's what all demons feel when people have that realization. You know, that there's that the sense of loss that, you know, you're not, that they're, how, how should I say this? Uh, they're not the sole source of that person's comfort. You know, like mm-hmm. they're no longer, um, that person like relies on, on something larger than itself. What it doesn't even have to be a religion. It could be, you know, just a relationship with another person. Cause I think that's where Lyra's gone with this. You know, Will is filling a lot of the, the, the niche that, uh, that pan had. And, you know, where does that, where does that leave you when you've given space, when you've given some of your personal space to another person? Mm-hmm. It just reminds me that within the entire trilogy, and we've talked about in this past, but um, couples, there's not a lot of like very forward facing couples in this that are still together and still strongly, you know, bonded. Mm -hmm. It's, it's there, you know, it's like there, there, I guess there may be a few on the, like the main, the main characters here are either like they're broken, separated, single even in the egyptians it's like there's relationships but it's like not super clear if they're people like oh here's a happy house with two people in it and two demons that are also bonded perfectly and it's like there doesn't seem to be any of that forward-facing material unless i totally missed it on this reread but it feels like that is a challenge especially within this world where your soul is outside your body you know like how do you find just the right fit when it's already hard enough to fit two people together fitting together four individual elements into one, you know, yeah. It's like, how do you do that? Pan's got to be feeling that. Right. That's everyone in this world is, you know, extremely well defined. They, they have to be, they, they know themselves as a separate entity. And, you know, if you've got, like, why do you need an external soulmate when yours is, like, in your hand? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so you have to find two soulmates, really. Like, yeah. That are already together, like, they're already paired. Right. It's like a, a pair of twins finding another pair of twins to marry. Right. It was so hard to find that perfect match. That's interesting. It's interesting. And, you know, I, I I kept saying, and I think it, I really said it in error, but a lot of it is just because of external forces. But the, this trilogy is like, you know, hey, let's read a fantasy trilogy. Yay, let's kill God. Like, this sort of the joke, right? right? And we just, read the, we just read the chapter where the authority dissolves, right? And Metatron gets sucked into a void and ceases to exist. So if you were saying oversimplifying this series is saying that's what the whole point is. And then right after that, we get this, mm-hmm. which is a real distillation. And it's, a, and, and as you said, both of you said, Pullman isn't just 
taking a dump on religion here. He's talking about individual choice and everyone doesn't have to fit into uh, some category. You can Mm -hmm. sort of do your own thing. It's about choice. It's about, it's about your own personal evolution and learning and expanding your, your thought. And it doesn't have to be religion, although it could be, and you could follow that. And it doesn't feel like, and I may be, I may be being naive here because he is an outspoken atheist, the individually he is in real life. But I feel like there's still, you could read this and read about Mary's story and be like, oh, what a great story, and then go to church the next day. You don't have to, and, and, sure. and be a, a firmly believe in you, you know, in God or, um, you know, any any religion that you that you um, subscribe to. Yet at the same time, I agree with all of that, but I feel like this was this. It it wasn't when the authority dissolves, or you know, Metatron falls down a well that he kills God. I feel like it was in this scene. Mm. Not only he, he kills and then mourns God because he, he's writing, he, he wrote how God dies for, uh, for an atheist, you know, because in those previous scenes, it was a fantastic version of God. You know, it was a physical version of God. In this case, we're really talking about Mary's faith and how that died and how she's mourning that. And I feel like this was the chapter where it actually happened. Yeah, there's a lot to absorb here. I wonder if if I was reading this as like a tween, what my take would be, because um, it certainly you know, you could read it as a tween, you know, it's, and it's marketed as young adult, although we have spoken about how we didn't really think this is young adult. This is a yeah. very complex series here, very complex, you know, and watching the show, you kind of watch the show, you know, they, they've touted the show as being like family viewing and they have sort of made it family viewing, but there's a lot going on here. Oh, for and sure. I don't know. I mean, Travis, you've, you've been able to watch, watch it with your kids. And I guess, Joanna, you're watching it with your kids. My kids, I don't think are, are ready for it. Um, they're a little bit younger. Uh, there's just, I'm struggling with it, you know, and mm-hmm. I've been around, I've been on this planet for a minute. Oh yeah. My, my nine-year-old asks on a regular basis, you know, what, what's happening here? Like, and she'll say, you know, pause this and tell me what's happening. Mm-hmm. And that's what we'll do. You know, pause it and have a conversation about what's going on on the screen. Mm-hmm. Um, we just uh, got through episode four, so Lyra, Lyra is. I'm sorry, episode five. Uh, so Lyra is with Egyptians, and they've just uh, told her about Mrs. Coulter and um, her father. Hmm. So you know, it's uh, for for the 15 year old. You know, she she's getting it. She's getting what's what, what they're putting out there. The uh, the the nine year old. You know, it's uh, she wants a little bit more help, but I think that's fine. Mm-hmm. I, I'm not sure what we'll do at season three, though. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Um, any more takes on this this story and and how it sort of we've, we have we have sort of 
dove in pretty deep on it. Is there more to discuss here? Or do you want to kind of go on to the next chapter here in this this poor climbing tree that doesn't quite make it anymore? Let's move on. I think I was super duper bummed about her tree falling down. Yeah. Um, that was a real tragedy. I feel bad, and I think at you know she was hearing about these trees. Um, important trees that were um, were falling throughout the land, but this one she had a personal connection to. Um, and you know she goes out to she wants to take another look, and the her tree her tree falls, and she's really devastated by it. Although she still gives it like one more climb, they're so big that even on its side she's still able to climb up branches that are on their side and still get a good view with the spyglass. Um, she, she is able to spot from a distance here, a, um, a figure that is going, looking through the, uh, the village and we know who that is. Uh, but she's a little bit too far away to warn anyone. She is also putting herself at risk. Um, Father Gomez is has arrived. He's riding on the back of these things too. Mm-hmm. Uh, he's sort of uh, Coulter esque when it comes to um, sort of what he did uh, and how they're starting to be his his minions. Um, I was a little bit nervous here, although I didn't expect that Will and Lyra were in danger, just because the book still has another seventy five pages to go. Um, but it's there's a lot I, I you sort of wonder he's just there to assassinate Lyra and I guess will is he there to get the knife too does he even know about the knife I can't remember I, I don't think he does know about the knife he was set off for that task at the was at the end of the like like at the end of the golden compass because he follows right isn't that when he or is it when, when was that when he when they have that big constitutorial court and they like commission him to go and he has done so many you know years of this sort of flagellation you know? yeah plus that he's okay going out and, and killing this girl and i think it's really just him getting lyra he's solely focused on getting lyra and eliminating her um mm-hmm. and anyone who gets in the way of him doing that be it will or mary or Mulefa. Mm-hmm. So I don't think he does know about the knife, which, you know, I'll come back to bite him. <laughs> yeah, probably, probably <laughs> good that he doesn't know about that. You know, this is, this is one thing that, uh, from a storytelling standpoint, I'm not overly keen on. Um, I feel like father Gomez has been, you know, pushed so far to the back mm-hmm. that yeah, when same. he appears, it's just Why? He, he 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 he's lost all connection to the overall narrative. Mm-hmm. You're you're there's it's like that's what you're just you're not worried about the kids at this point. Um, you feel like you know we've pushed so far beyond his little you know his little task. It's it it you just it's kind of like when you're watching a movie and they introduce something that that is just 
you know has nothing to do with the main story arc. Mm-hmm. And, you know, you, you, they talk about Mandalorian, right? You get this throwaway episode that has nothing to do with what's going on. Everything, everybody's sidelined, and he has this, like, side quest that he has to do. You're just like, this doesn't – can we just move on back to the main story, please? Yeah. So you just you just know the kids are in no danger here. Yeah, uh, Father Gomez fell off of a cliff in the background of an episode. I would not care. Uh, of a chapter, I would not care. He won't be in the show, right? There's no I way. I don't think so. It doesn't seem right. They, have, they haven't introduced him. I mean, him. there's nothing to go on. There's, like, legit nothing to go on. He has, like, yeah. a scene where he's like, I'll do it. And then he, what? He's getting some bread and cheese from some old people. Mm-hmm. And then he's, like, walking some, you know, like, he has nothing. And then he's like, I um, have command of the bird boats. Mm-hmm. Yes. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I mean, we're going to get a scene, you know, here pretty soon uh, where everything comes together with with him. But, yeah, it's meaningless. This book could be 25 pages shorter and, you know, I, we wouldn't lose anything, yeah, especially when we're just reading the last chapter, which has so much meat. And you're like, oh, Mary's tree fell. Well, Mary's tree fell. That was a big moment. But right. then eh, who cares if, you know, Gomez has shown up? Who cares? You know, using your uh, Mandalorian metaphor, he reminds me of uh, Boba Fett before the Mandalorian, when he's just that guy who just kind of stands around menacingly, mm-hmm. and you just don't. I, I mean, sh- I guess he's cool, he but looks he's not. Cool. Yeah, he's not done anything to prove that he's like a good part of this narrative. So. Yeah, you throw Gomez in some badass armor, and then he'll be a big hit character. But yeah. if he's wearing armor, <laughs> get it. Exactly. <laughs> exactly. Get like a steampunk outfit with like a helmet. We're yeah. getting Pedro Pascal to play him. He, okay. Now, all right. Now we're talking. You know? Gomez? Oh. <laughs> yeah. Huh. See, I've just changed this whole thing for you guys. Okay. Okay. Yeah. You put the right person in that. And then you're, you're, you have me interested. You know, but other, other, uh, otherwise, I don't care. Yeah. Yeah. Same. Um, I did just a little side note. I did like she wakes up and she's um, she's naked. I think Will is naked, too. They've like taken their clothes off to wash them. And then they're just and she's like kind of liars, not really feeling it. And she has another uh, moment where she's like, hey, I used to go swim naked, but she feels a little bit different now about it. And she's not doesn't yeah, really specifically with Will. Yeah. Yeah. Like she explicitly calls calls out, you know. Maybe with the kids from back at Jordan College, but not with Will. No, not with Will. This is yeah. a little bit different. She's, She's grown, grown up a little bit. Yeah. 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 Um, so, so, yeah, that was a little more. Any other stuff to touch on from these two? The second chapter is very slight. You know, it, it's funny. Now that we're, what you just said made me think of something. That uh, when she lets go of Roger and he you know, becomes one with the universe— it's you know kind of sim- uh, symbolic of her you know letting go of her childhood. You know her childhood dies at the same time that Roger does. Because so past that past that point, she there there are really no revelatory actions that would have ch- you know changed anything about her. But I think it's the it's the point when she lets Roger go that all of the, that uh, all of this really starts to like. The, the growing up happens. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I buy that for sure. Even yeah. more so when she, you know, when he dies originally, which I think was was a real punch in the gut for her. But I don't know that she grew up at that moment. It was just yeah. a devastating tragedy. 
Exactly. Then, yeah, then it was just, it was just a tragedy that she was still trying to, to recapture. She's like, I'm, I'm getting to the, the world of the dead and getting back. Mm-hmm. You know, I'm going to fix what, what I've lost, not realizing that she can't fix what she's lost. And now she does. And that's when, when you, when you realize that you can't move, go backwards, that's when all you can do is move forward. Mm-hmm. So you want to step forward into, uh, episode six here of the What's show. I love that segue. <laughs> uh, so the episode is Malice. Uh, it is the penultimate episode of this season two of His Dark Materials. Um, there's some significant stuff in here, uh, more so than maybe uh, other episodes. You kind of feel like we're getting, we're sort of going towards a conclusion here. Still, mm-hmm. five, episode five is still, or episode four is still my favorite. Is that the one, the uh, Tower of Angels? That is still strongly entrenched as my favorite episode. Mm-hmm. Um, the big piece here, a lot. There's a lot that has changed. They've they've simplified a lot of stuff from the book. Um, the Boreal and and Coulter relationship. That all that stuff is sped up quite a bit. And you know, Boreal yeah. makes it a little bit further into the the, yeah. the story's a little bigger, and Boreal makes it further into that story. That story has been really. Dis- distilled. It, it's really been simplified where they, they go into Chittagaze. She takes over, uh, she's able to control the, um, uh, the specters, mm-hmm. which is its own kind of, um, epic moment where she sort of realizes she can control them. Mm-hmm. Bless you. But then Boreal, uh, she goes ahead and poisons him. She finds some poison. She poisons him. He's done. Yeah. He doesn't even make it to have the creepy tent, you know, the tent scene where um, his snake and uh, and the monkey have the tete-a-tete, <laughs> which I'm actually pretty happy that we don't have to see that. Yeah. 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 You know, firstly, I'm really happy that we're not, like, getting any of the creepy, you know, monkey love throughout this series. Yeah. They they almost hint at it. I feel like there was maybe a wink to the book readers there where right before Boreal, right when Boreal is being poisoned, there is a little bit of a moment between, I feel like the, between the demon, just a little bit. It wasn't creepy. It wasn't like strokey. Yeah. I mean, in this, it's like just the weird, awkward monkey. Mm-hmm. Because, the you know, on my second viewing of the series, the more I watch it, the more I... I hate saying this out loud, but I actually have, you know, sympathy for the monkey. Mm. Mm. You know, pre- through the book, you know, and, and the previous viewing of the, the first season, you know, the monkey just creeped me out and I hated it. Mm-hmm. But I really feel for the monkey now. Like it's, it, and I, you know, I wonder if the monkey isn't, in this particular scene, bringing it back to this episode, you know, honestly trying to comfort the snake, knowing it's about to die. Mm-hmm. You saying that it makes me think. You know, in 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 the in the book, the, the monkey and Mrs. Coulter are so much more um, tightly, like they're much more of of like companion like do you know what I mean they're closer they're more yeah. intimate it's just she's it's more of like the, what a normal demon relationship I think would be but in the series 
you know, I almost feel like he's only there because he has to be. She has like, to have a demon. She has to have a demon and she's done the, I mean, she's even trained herself, at least in the series to be able to let him be as far away from him Separate. as she possibly can. Yeah. yeah. And, 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 you know, and I think that that's really, really interesting because I, that for me then is where the empathy comes from because that makes him a victim and makes him a victim. Yeah. Really. Exactly. Because he doesn't have any autonomy in the end and no real choice in what he does save self-preservation. Mm-hmm. You know, and and so I, I yeah, I mean, I, I really feel like I can see that. Like there's I have much more empathy for the monkey in the series than I do for him in the book. Yeah. In season one, you know, he he we, we were sort of discussing that he seemed to be able to move around the apartment really freely mm-hmm. uh, and separate himself from her a little bit more. But but, you know, whenever she gets dressed up and goes to see Mary Malone and she leaves him behind, he's like freaking out. And it makes mm-hmm. me think that, like, every time she's, like, closing the door between her and him, that it hurts him. And he's miserable. And when she gets dressed up and leaves him, he's, like, panicked. And she just does it over and over again. So it does make you sort of feel bad for him. He, she really, you know, it, it is necessity only. She doesn't really want to have a demon around. She, you know, she uses him for certain things. But, like... If she needs to leave him behind, she leaves him behind, even though it hurts him to do it. You know, and going back to that episode where we learn, you know, why she is the way she is. I mean, she clearly had to disconnect herself from her feelings in order not to be destroyed by whoever the abusive person was in her childhood who, you know, broke her, you know, and, um, I, I think that that's where that distance comes from. That's why she's able, and you know, it's weird to, to say it it's, as it's an ability because, if anything, it would almost be a disability that you're you know not connected to your your soul, but um, that she's able to just shut it off and, uh, and and still let it be you know vulnerable to the specters. Because the monkey is terrified of the specters, even though she's like, "No, I'm fine." They're just there's nothing there that they want. Yeah, I wonder if the uh, specters could destroy the monkey, and she would still be fine. So she could survive. She wouldn't look like she was soulless, like she yeah. had been sucked of her her life force. Yeah, because she kind That's of already is. Yeah. Hmm. Yeah, I wonder. Um, you know, I guess we're gonna we're gonna see plenty more of the two of them um, over the next uh, the next season. So I wonder how they play that out. Um, yeah, my, she's been. Uh, uh, I'm sorry. Go ahead. I was gonna say she's she's a little more sympathetic already. We know where she ends up in the third book, but I wonder because she already is a little bit more sympathetic now. Um, like, is she gonna be like a full out? 180 she's now a hero you know like very early on in the next season mm-hmm. uh, and then you know if she does what she does with lyra will have a completely different context yeah with the cave and the drugging and all that stuff i wonder how they'll pull that off yeah my nine-year-old nine-year-old has already asked if she's a witch which is just hilarious because that's exactly mm. the question that i asked when we first started reading the box demon separation like yeah, yeah it's, it's already yeah 
the only thing that's missing is like spells. Right. Good transition. The witches try to heal Will's wound. This is uh, this was a big moment in the books, and they they play this this moment out again. Um, Will, I think in the book, I, I felt Will was really like he, he was really dwindling. You know, he was yes. like he had no energy. He was sapped. He was sick. The wound was really bad, almost like Frodo later on in the in the books, where just that that wound was just not healing and he was, it was going to kill him. Mm-hmm. Um, it's not quite that the same visualization in the, in the series. Uh, but they, they do play this moment here. He's definitely sick. The, the wound doesn't look good, right. uh, but you know, he needs, he needs, he needs help. Yeah. I feel like in the show, the wound was a lot more supernatural than it was in the, in the book. In the book, it was just, you know, his fingers are off. He's got an infection that's spreading throughout him. Mm-hmm. In this, it just seemed like there was some weird, like, supernatural element to the wound. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, Lee and Will, Lee and John are uh, balloon-bound, um, heading toward Chittagaze. They're uh, uh, being chased by the Magisterium. Um uh, John uses his uh, shaman abilities, as he did in the book, to uh, get you know some storms and whatnot. Um, and he downs the two airships in really similar fashion yeah. uh, from the books. I think one the the storm takes one down with lightning, and then the birds he summons the birds to take down the other airship, just like the book. Uh, that was really fun to see. Um, the third ship gets through, which we all know is not gonna turn out well for our friends no it is not and uh, i was like maybe they'll change this part (laughs) i kind (laughs) of thought they would i kind of thought that they were going to but um you know luke has to lose obi-wan you you can't have uh your mentors there with you at the end of the trip they've got to fall away and uh lee scoresby scoresby in this case is his god Got to, got to go. Yeah. It's, yeah, not looking forward to that, that moment. Yeah. Yeah. Which we know is coming. Yes. I think they did a really good job, just really quickly. I think they did a really good job. Um, uh, You know, I almost called him Moriarty. Oh my gosh, what is it? Adam Scott. (laughs) Is his name Adam? What's his name again? Andrew Scott. Andrew Scott. Adam Scott Scott is from uh, Parks and Rec. Right. Oh, whoops. (laughs) Andrew Scott. (laughs) Uh, and Lin-Manuel, I really, I love their, they had a good, like, chemistry. Yeah, they me, sure did. Which, which was yeah. something that yeah. I was, like, worried about because I was so excited when he was going to, you know, be the one that's playing John Parry. And I was, like, just couldn't wait to have him on screen. Um, but, you know, that doesn't, it may not, may not always work. And I think that, that Lin-Manuel's performance as Lee Scorby, the way he's sort of changed it a little bit, it works so much in his favor. He's so much more subtle. Um, you know, his snark is 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 a little more like, you know, kind of smart and witty in a, in a in a way. And, and John plays off of that. And so I felt. I guess I'm saying all that because, you know, at the end of of episodes, at the end of episode six is when you see the balloon go down. Yeah. And like you ca- and you care. Yeah. I mean, if you think about yeah. it, John Perry yeah. was only in these, the, you know, he was in for Two like an episode episodes. and a half. Yeah. 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 So, so, you know, I think the way that they were able to sort of 
develop that relationship so you kind of don't just care about Lee Scorsby, you care about both, but even just the depth that um, Andrew Scott brought to John Parry in the very short time that we've been able to see him. You know, yeah. just just from the way he talks about his demon and understanding there's a female side of him, you know, to him sort of trying to explain to to Lee, like, how he got him there and, like, what his role, like, kind of really is. Like, it was, I thought he just did a fantastic job. He had me, like, sucked in right from the start, I think. Even with the man bun. Even with the man Even bun. with the man bun. It's, it's <laughs> oh, a sneaky man, man bun. Because you don't see it so much from the front, but then you get it from the side. It's like, oh, man. He, you know, he does have the the little, you know, the trepanning um, hole in his forehead, which I thought was really nice that you could see oh, it really clearly. Uh, yeah, I, I agree with Joanna that uh, that Andrew Scott has done a fantastic job. He yeah, really he really came in and, and elevated that. You know, you had to get somebody who was going to elevate that role because you're right, just a little bit of screen time. And we have to really care in the book. You know, th- there's you care for a lot of reasons, uh, you know, not the least of which, uh, you know, this character's name is mentioned a, a zillion times before we, we ever get to meet him. Yeah. Uh, but also that link to Will and how important he is you know, sort of to the the grander scheme of the story, you're sort of anxious to finally find out who he is. Uh, in the show, it's like they've planted seeds, but when you're finally you finally get to see him, it's it you know it pays off. Yeah. And do we, we talk about his demon? Who voices his demon? Did we already talk about that? No. Who voices oh, his demon? Phoebe Waller Bridge. <gasps> awesome. Does she really? Yeah. She I love one, that. She only has one line, but she it is her. Yeah, she elevates awesome. everything she's into. Come on, give her more lines, please. Oh, oh man. Yeah. I mean, she even elevates Harry Styles' um, new music video for "Treat People with Kindness." Oh, I have. And that's just a little plug for Harry Styles because Harry Styles. So whatever. Get off my is, back. Stop is judging what, me. Tra- <laughs> is, is watermelon sugar his? Is watermelon sugar a Harry Styles song? Oh. Yes, it is. Was that? Oh yeah, I liked that song from the summer. Yeah, it was. It didn't make any sense, but I liked it. Um, we can talk after the show, Alaric, about what that song's about. <laughs> I want to know. It's, it's, it's we, after the show. Okay, <laughs> this is a family podcast. She's in that video too, and she, she just brings a whole joy to it. I mean, honestly, she brings a joy to it. It's already this amazingly happy thing, and she brings even more joy to it. So all of that to say, wow. yes, yeah, she elevates anything she's in. And love of course, it. I love her in uh, Star Wars. Yeah, she's great. Outside of her own, outside of her own work, of course, I like her in Star Wars. She's great in everything so far. Um, one last little piece of this episode that I didn't want to uh, blow past without discussing is Mary arriving in Chittagaze and uh, helping Angelica and um, uh, Paola uh, yeah. with sort of finding their adults. Um, it just brings out. Mary's sweetness and warmth again, like these, you know, these urchins who are really kind of standoffish with her. Uh, but she never really breaks the, that she, she, she has so much kindness and so much warmth that she just rolls with it. And she's like, I'll, you know, let's, how can I help? You know, she, she's there to help. She doesn't even know why she's there. Yeah. Even though they just told her, you know, that they had tried to murder Lyra. Yes. They were very, right. bl- they were very open about their attempted murder. And she's like, yeah, okay, let me let me help you find your adults. Like, Dude, you're trying to kill my my buddy, but uh, no, she did not. She was open. She was she was caring. Yeah, yeah. Well, so- and I also I also think that the 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 characters, you know, um, 
Angelica specifically because she's so amazing Mm -hmm. in the way that she, you know, in the way that she emotes. I mean, you know, God knows how long they've been without. Yeah. You know, Mm -hmm. we don't know how long really. I mean, do we actually know how long it's been? I mean, it's so they could have been alone and out there since they were five. She really was like, was that wrong? She had she and and I believed her. She didn't really have this sense or understanding that like. Well, they, you know, how is that wrong? And I think that's part of what Mary picked up on. I think that also was able to bring a little bit more empathy to the characters because in the book, you're just kind of like, what the heck is wrong with these kids? And, you know, reading it, it does, you don't quite, you don't quite get, I think, the same sort of, you know, sort of emotion about it as when you see that they are alone and they have been alone for a very long time. When she asked Mary Malone, when Paola asked Mary Malone for a hug, I I almost cried. Oh, gosh. It was so sad. And I was like, oh my gosh, like you forget, like these are, these are children. These are little, these are little girls. And we, and we often forget sometimes when we're watching adult shows, but even in a classroom, sometimes you forget, I'm talking to an 11 year old and somebody else's 11 year old. They're not an adult. They're not a peer, you know, you kind of, and I feel like, you know, they did a really good job there too. And it, and it, that's probably where that, I'm just saying that might be where that came from them, where she was like, holy crap. You have like, no, yes. Let me help you find your adults. Yeah. You need to get back to where you need to, to re- reclaim something that you've lost. Yeah. Yeah. yeah that was a, uh, that was a, a really, really neat, neat moment when, when she asked her for a hug. Um, because again, you know, looking at it from a different perspective, five minutes before she, they had been trying to kill Lyra. They told Mary, we had, you know, we tried to kill her, but they, 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 from the perspective of a child, when we were watching that through Lyra and Will's perspective, those children were monsters. Mm-hmm. But as an yeah. adult, you know, and we're watching that and watching it from the perspective of an adult. You know, we were able to see the the children's in, inherent humanity, and I I wonder if that's supposed to, if that was intentional, to help us. You know, with that growth that we're supposed to be getting for that we're supposed to be watching Lyra and Will go through, and mm-hmm. you know the the makers of the show were helping us do that as we watched the episode, mm-hmm. you know, we, we transitioned from, a, from children to adults as we watched that just mm-hmm. through the perspective, through the vehicles of, uh, Angelica and Paola. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Finding the compassion in that moment. Yeah. Yep. Really, really good. Uh, any other notes here before we, uh, sign off? Mm, I don't think, I think so. so. All right. Well, next week is going to be epic because we're going to talk about the final episode of the season, season two. Hmm. Um, we finish in this book. We're going to be real close to finishing it. Um, yeah. Over the Hills and Far Away, Broken Arrow. Let's see. Oh, gosh. Yeah, there's a little bit. There's quite a bit left. Might have two more weeks. Yeah. Um, it's it's 4.55 to uh 518 so it's like 70 pages okay 
yeah. So maybe two more weeks of that. And by then, the way, Amazon has just uh, uploaded an update to this book, so the page numbers work again. Ah, I'm. Do we, we're sh- not, do we share page numbers now. I think so. I'm. We're, I'm no longer on page, you know, forty-eight for the entire series. <laughs> the um, I am now long pages. See, on yeah, forty-eight was long. It's Chapter like, thirty-five is page four fifty-five. The, oh, good. All right. Well, there you go. We're, we are on the same page. Yeah, it's like the Nathaniel Hawthorne of pages. Yeah. <laughs> awesome. Yeah. Um, so, uh, yeah, so we can sign off now and um, look forward to seeing you guys next week where we, I guess, all return to whatever our normal lives are. I've been enjoying being off. I assume you guys have enjoyed having some downtime. Yes. Yeah. I, I'm not. in. All my time is downtime. Too. Hmm? All my time is downtime. <laughs> so, <laughs> so, not when you know. you're you're on the cookie grind, Joanna. The cookie grind. True, true. I am on the cookie grind. That's for and sure. Have, and you have to like transition out of holiday cookies into like winter cookies, uh, election cookie, you know, uh, uh, inauguration. Inauguration cookies. Yes, inaugural cookies. Yeah, yeah, that would be good. Nice. What would you shape a inaugural cookie as? A Joe Biden cookie. A Joe Biden cookie, a yeah, a Bible cookie, a Delaware cookie, a Delaware cookie, <sighs> dog for dogfish head cookie, Air, um, aviator sunglasses. Yes, <laughs> a mask, uh, like a like That's a nice true. black mask. Yeah. Um, uh, Timberlands or or uh, or, uh, or chests. Yep. Yeah. She's got two of the two pairs of those. Yeah. We could find ways. We can figure this out, Joanna. Yeah. Okay. That's a very niche market. <laughs> yes. That's true. But. Scranton, Scranton shape, shape it like Scranton Wilkesbury. <laughs> <laughs> hey, it's PA, baby. Exactly. Oh. All right, guys. Great to see you. Happy New Year. And uh, we'll catch you on the flip. See you soon. See you later. Bye.